Hi, and welcome to the Good Clean Nutrition Podcast. I have been your host, Mary Purdy, dietitian and nutrition educator. And today I am delighted to introduce you to the new host, Ginger Halton, also a registered dietitian nutritionist and someone who is a colleague and a friend of mine as well. So we are going to look back at some of our favorite podcasts to date. Uh, we're going to look ahead at nutrition and wellness trends that we think we might see in 2024. And uh, we're also going to talk a little bit about our own nutrition and lifestyle goals for 2024. And you might be surprised by what we uh, come up with. So Ginger, welcome and welcome to your new host role. I'm really excited and grateful for everything that you've done and excited to move forward in my way. Well, I, I'm handing you the verbal torch right now as you get ready to enter into this role. And I got to tell you, when I first started this, I was really nervous. Um, I know that might sound weird. I do a lot of performing in public speaking, but I was still nervous, especially because a lot of the guests that we have had on over the past several years have been people that I have been following, you know, so I would have to gear myself up and sniff my lavender oil before we started because I felt, gosh, this is somebody who is a real thought leader in this field. So you don't seem nervous, but I mean, the people that have been on are so elite and such huge leaders in the space. I'm like, I can't believe Mary is interviewing this person. And that's amazing. And I wonder if she's nervous. So it's great to know that you are, but you're such a great balance to, to that knowledge. And you always add some information of your own, which I think is extremely fascinating to see it from the dietitian perspective. Well, what's been so amazing about the past um, few seasons is how many of the guests who come on are really valuing nutrition as, as a way to think about wellness. They are putting it into the healthcare picture. So many of the doctors um, that we talked to were saying how very much nutrition was so critical to health, wellness, disease prevention, addressing disease, reversing disease. So I felt very much in good company in terms of folks who felt aligned with my approach to health and wellness. And we should say how we know each other because we didn't even mention that up front. But Ginger and I go way back. Um, do you want to tell the story? <laughs> you were one of my professors, one of my clinical instructors. I learned so much from you because you were a clinical supervisor. So this, the university that you and I both graduated from, Bastyr University, has this really cool aspect where you see patients as a student, but you're supervised by, by a professor. And so you were the professor that was watching us. And I mean, I learned so much confidence from you, so much about integrative nutrition, but also about like how to interact with clients and how to get people to change their behavior and inspire them. And that's a really hard thing to do when you're first starting out. Oh, that's so nice. Oh my gosh, that means that means a lot to me. And what was interesting was that then we ended up working together and we became actual colleagues and compatriots at an organization that was doing telehealth and wellness and, um, you know, very, very cutting edge in terms of looking at gut microbiome and genetic variations and cortisol testing and functional labs. I remember when I moved back to Seattle, I was trying to figure out, you know, what I was going to do next. And I knew that you were at that company you must have been one of the earliest employees. Employee number two. I think I was 16. And I just remember knowing that you were there and talking to you about it. And I was like, well, if Mary's there, I think I want to be there. Uh, and then we became, on a, on a little side note, we became accountability buddies. 
So uh, talk about excellent counseling skills. Ginger, you 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 kicked it um, out of the park when we became accountability buddies. We talk once a week on Sundays and talk about our goals. And it wasn't necessarily about nutrition. It might have been about, oh, I just I really need to work on cleaning up my closet. I'm going to commit and um, to, you know, getting rid of five things this week. And then we talk again the next week. And did you do it? Why didn't you do it? What was the what was the barrier that was stopping you from doing that? What how do you think you might be able to take a step towards that? It was so helpful. There's a couple aspects of that that I know that we both use in practice. But that's how you create behavior change is you have accountability, you have an ongoing relationship, you set measurable goals. It I think took my skills of behavior change counseling to the next level. And I learned a lot from you and like going back and forth was really fun. Um, So yeah, accountability buddies, we should bring it back. We should. We all need a little accountability in our lives. Let's go back to some of the other episodes. I have so many favorites. Were there any that stood, stood out to you? There's so many good ones. I was listening to um, the COVID-19 episode 16 by Dr. William Lee. He's one of my favorites. My background in vascular biology studies blood vessels. I was really fortunate early in my career to train with the, the father of angiogenesis research. He was looking at cancers forming all the time in the body without causing disease, like pimples that actually <laughs> form in our body, because Cancers form with DNA mutations. Can you guess how many mutations happen in the average person's body every day? Uh, 400. 10,000 DNA mistakes happen every day simply because we, you and I are made of 40 trillion cells apiece. And when those cells have to copy paste themselves to divide every day, if I gave you 10 words to copy paste, you probably wouldn't make a mistake. If I gave you 100 probably be pretty good. If I gave you 40 trillion, you definitely make mistakes. And our body makes 10,000 mistakes. That's one of my favorite episodes uh, of the of the entire three years that I, that I hosted because he's such a huge um, wealth of knowledge. And again, he really brings in the nutrition conversation. And as it relates to COVID-19, which is something that was often not talked about in the media, in the news, is what is the role that nutrition plays, both in terms of how it might have better outcomes or worse outcomes, and what's the actual damage that's done to the blood vessels. So that was fascinating. And I remember one of the things I loved about what he said was he said something like, um, there's not a uh, one superfood, but what is actually super is the human body. We actually have within us the power to maintain our health, to restore our health, and to avert disease. And what we do in terms of decisions that we make for food that we put into our body, either raise our shields or take them down. And so it's really, we have that agency to be able to do that. That cannot be the missing tool in the toolbox for healthcare, because in fact, it is the care for our health that happens between visits to the doctor's office. And I just love that approach. He was, he was a real favorite of mine as well. Who else? Who else stands out for you? The most recent one uh, by Dr. Drew Ramsey was really interesting. He just made me think about the research that's been done in a different way. One of my rules, Mary, is when there's just one soundbite about something. Like, remember how everyone's always said, like, it's fine for men to have two drinks and women to have one. Besides just the blatant sexism and patriarchy that that reeks of, since everyone, there's only one study that said that. And by the way, it's not true. Right. The most recent research says that no amount of alcohol consumption is beneficial for your health, period. Right. Minor amounts of alcohol consumption change your brain structure and brain matter. 
And he was just so approachable. You know, he's talking about brain health and healthy aging. And he was like, eat more leafy greens and talking about how to do that. And you were doing like your behavior change support with him. And you guys were talking through just taking small steps that lead up to big changes. Yeah. And and I loved how he was talking about mental fitness. Mental fitness over the last maybe five years with our team has evolved as the larger umbrella that nutritional psychiatry is under, or another way to put it is, is that it, it's one of the pillars of a foundation, but it's not the only one. You can eat all the brain foods. If your sleep quality stinks, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do my job helping you get to your best mental health that you've ever had. If you're not thinking about your relationships and your connections and your emotional fluency and awareness, that really handicaps my ability to do my job and help you because so much of what I do is is around that. So not just about wellness, but that we keep our brains fit the same way that we keep our our heart fit. We have not been afraid to take on topics that maybe people are, hmm, you know, we talked about hormones, men's body image with Aaron Flores. You know, we talked about CBD with Janice Bessex. We have cannabinoids that we make on our own, because really, why would we have receptors for like THC and CBD in a plant? Why would we evolve as humans? The reason is that we make our own cannabinoids. Two of them, the most studied are anandamide or anandamide, and that's called the bliss molecule. It's a Sanskrit word for bliss. But if you make a lot of anandamide, then your incidence of anxiety is much lower and depression also. So it's much like if someone doesn't make enough thyroid hormone, right? We give them a medication to supplement their thyroid hormones. It's the same thing. If someone has anxiety, it could be that their endocannabinoid system is out of balance. Maybe they're not making enough anandamide. So if you give them CBD in particular, what it does is it allows your body to retain more of that anandamide, that bliss molecule. I would say that was one of the only topics going into my hosting where I thought this is the topic that I know the least about. I had virtually no experience with it, except maybe, you know, taking a CBD gummy I don't know, at some point in my life. But I learned so much. Um, specifically, I thought about how to apply some of the things that she was talking about, pain reduction um, to a family member um, of mine where I thought, wow, this, you know, he's really tried a lot to reduce his pain. And maybe this is another route that he could take that I really hadn't considered or hadn't thought that maybe he would be open to. But with all of the research that she brought in and the experience that she's had with transforming people's lives, um, I, I was able to pass it along and say, hey, take a listen to this and see what you think. It's really all about just being open-minded and looking at all the different options that you have in front of you. And one thing I like about her approach is let's try to reduce bias about marijuana use for healthcare providers and for our consumers and just basically talk about the pros and cons and what it could be for somebody without judgment. And I, I think that is an approach that I see over and over on the podcast that I like a lot. So Ginger, let's talk, let's talk hormones because we actually talked about hormones a lot when we worked at the organization that we were um, colleagues at. And, um, and I think 
the hormone conversation for many women and those assigned female at birth often feels like one that's embarrassing and one that's maybe not as well known or people don't want to talk about. Um, but I really felt like these were areas where I learned a lot, you know, talking with Melissa Groves, uh, dietitian, uh, Melissa, Melissa Groves Azaro, um, and, uh, and Dr. Taniqua Miller about their take on menopause um, and just hormonal imbalance in general. And, you know, I learned a lot of things that I feel like I can apply to myself as somebody who has hormones um, and, uh, and, and to others who, with whom I interact. How about you? Women's health and hormones and hormonal changes are having a moment. I think as somebody who has reached a certain age as well, when it comes to hormones, I really appreciated Dr. Taniqua Miller's advice around hormone replacement therapy. But what that study did is that it made people really fearful that hormone therapy potentially would cause breast cancer or increase your, your risk by 20%. What we know for absolute risk is that it's probably one additional breast cancer for over a thousand breast cancers. And what's tricky about breast cancer is that it's a very common cancer. About 12.5% of women will actually develop breast cancer in her lifetime. So that's one in eight. So because it's such a common cancer, it's hard to tease out what causes what. But what we do know is that we have lots of different hormonal solutions today, if you will, compared to then. And a lot of what we're seeing is a movement towards the transdermal options that are bioidentical, or what we consider bioidentical and FDA-approved bioidentical. I had been thinking, is this something I want to do? I feel kind of skeptical about it, kind of nervous. What's it going to do? Is it bad for me? I know there's all these different studies that are saying conflicting information about whether this is a good strategy. Does it put you at higher risk for things? I really, really trusted her and felt like she was such an expert that I actually went on the estrogen patch as a result of the advice that she was giving on that show. So that that actually turned a personal corner for me or had me turn a personal corner just just uh, by having that conversation with her. So sounds like that moment that working with her actually could have changed your life. And I can't even say the word hormone replacement therapy without whoever I'm talking to getting really, really scared because there's been this whole background. And Dr. Miller talks about that controversy and how things have changed and the difference between dosing estrogen and progesterone. And so that helped me understand it so much better. And of course, as dietitians, we don't dose those. But like you said, it gives you the information you need to open the conversation with your physician so that you go in with the right words and more empowered to have those conversations. And I think one of the other things, too, that I got from that episode was just the idea of having more conversations about menopause with women who are going through it um, or going through perimenopause or entering into that into that phase or even prior to that phase. But that it's, it's possible to normalize that conversation, to have it be you know dinner conversation, to have it be something that that we boldly go into with a, a sense of celebration as a, as opposed to a sense of, you know, a comedic punchline. I find this podcast empowering in general. I mean, you mentioned the men's body image episode. Diet culture tells us that our body is something that is a project that needs to be fixed. And it leads us to these living by rules, not being able to sort of say, I can trust my body to tell me what to eat, how much, but also know that like there are societal factors like weight stigma systems of oppression that show up in this world that impact our body experience. And like you said earlier, there is no one body story. There's body diversity. People are going to have different experiences in their body based on their identity, based on socioeconomic status, based on gender. And 
how do we embrace all of those stories without trying to say it needs to be just like this one? And that was a real different kind of conversation that I think dietitians typically have. It's not about focusing on weight loss at all. It is all about focusing on relationship to body, um, trauma that may have informed why people have certain behaviors around food that they may have, changing the relationship to food and asking really different questions. I think that was a, that was a real takeaway from, from that episode. It was asking the different kinds of questions in order to really get to the root cause uh, and causes and contributing factors of why someone might be where they are and having a sensitivity around that. What I take away almost every time is like empowering. You can do something about your health. You can change these small things. And I think it was Dr. Katz was talking about like how small changes can lead up to big changes and how much work and effort do you want to put into it? He positions wellness from that perspective of you're taking steps in a, in a, in a staircase as opposed to um, some helicopter ride. The other thing that I appreciate about him was that he wasn't just talking about how it's around individual choices, right? It is very much about our environment. The modern food supply is booby-trapped to make people eat badly. It, it's not your fault, but here we are at the receiving end of a booby-trapped bad diet. Diet is the single leading predictor, diet quality measured objectively, single leading predictor of premature death and chronic disease, period, full stop, drop the mic. Well, okay, we know from a famous expression in the world of business, we manage what we measure. And that reverberates through the house of medicine. It is very much about our environment, about our food system. And this is, again, something that I've appreciated about many of the guests that we've had in a personal connection that I have when you're talking about planetary health. High quality diets tend to be better for the planet. Uh, and that, that's a really happy confluence because it might have been otherwise. It might have been that the best things for humans to eat to be well were at odds with what's best for the planet, but it's not so. A diet, as Michael Pollan put it, real food, not too much, mostly plants, it's better for human health. It's better for planetary health. The two things that you want to do to reduce your environmental footprint are move away from highly processed foods to minimally processed and unprocessed foods direct from nature and to shift from animal food centric diets, meat and dairy to plant food centric diets, lots of vegetables, fruits, whole grains, beans, lentils, nuts and seeds, much better for human health, much better for planetary health. And oh, by the way, kinder, gentler to our fellow creatures. Those three lenses all matter to me. And fortunately, advancing the proposition of human health with better diet means advancing all three of those agendas. What is good for people is very often what is good for the planet. So the intersection and interdependence of those um, is really right up uh, in, in line with the work that we do as clinicians, because we are going to be seeing those connections getting louder and louder over the coming decade. Speaking of which, let's talk about um, trends that we think might be coming up in 2024. What's going to be the buzz that people are talking about from a nutrition and lifestyle perspective? I think climate-friendly eating and plant-based, because plant-based, whether it's vegan or vegetarian or flexitarian, that fits into climate and sustainability conversations that mm -hmm. needs to continue to be a conversation. So I think we're going to see big trends there. I also think, and it kind of goes hand in hand, healthy aging, longevity, how do we live longer, better? I think we're going to continue to see a lot of chatter about that. 
I totally agree. And that's been something that's been on my radar for a long time because I've been obsessed with living to be at least 100 for, you know, since I was 12. Uh, so, but now there's a lot of research about whether it's food or lifestyle strategies or being involved with nature or, you know, uh, other su- supplements that are all, all helping to renew cellular um, function and uh, improve immune function. So I, the longevity piece, I think, is going to continue to be uh, very hot topic this year. It's a goal of mine to live to be 100 as well. So you and I are going to be, we're going to be hanging out together for a long time. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Eating well, staying fit uh, mentally and physically, and uh, and hopefully enjoying uh, company and good company and friends and family and community and nature. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Um, What what else for you? Like, what else are you seeing for the new year? I think... um, Brain health is continuing to be very, very important, um, especially in this age of loneliness. Uh, we're seeing such a, a crisis. Uh, people who are really struggling with mental health issues, and I think nutrition often doesn't get the play that it needs to in this conversation. It's not the only thing, of course, that's going to help, but it is definitely a supporting player um, in the in the conversation around mental health issues. So I think that's going to continue to be very, very much discussed. And that connection, again, between gut and brain, we're still understanding what that is. But we know that when people have dysbiosis or that imbalance of the good bacteria and the bad bacteria, we see greater levels of depression and mental health issues. So there's a lot to be solved there. Gut microbiome and gut health and the gut brain and body connection has been trending for a while, I think. But I, it's only going to pick up because we're learning more. And so as more research comes out, I think we're going to be looking at it in different ways. I don't know, short chain fatty acid production and the gut microbiome. I'm obsessed with that. I yes. love talking about that. It's yes. amazing. Bring bring back the fiber. And that all comes back to plant-based eating too, right? Or minimally processed plant-based eating, which is going to be very beneficial for um, supporting gut microbiome health. And you know, we when we worked together, we were actually testing people's poop. So we got a chance to see who was hanging out in people's internal ecosystems and how that actually changed, you know, from a very, very high level, but how that actually changed when we had nutrition intervention. So that was, you know, that was close to, gosh, eight years ago or so. So we're still understanding it, um, but there's more to come. Yeah, that was really cutting edge at the time. And now I'm seeing direct to consumer and direct practitioner testing that is going a step further. Again, it's just interesting that the research is like pouring out. I think that we were at the very beginning of that in a really exciting way. I think so too. And it was nice, nice to have the the verbiage, you know, to be able to understand these phyla, back bacteroides and formicides. These are all f- families of, of bacteria that we all had to wrap our mouths around. Another thing that I think is going to be coming into play in 2024 is just uh, disparities in healthcare. Um, you know, there's a real strong movement around the food is medicine movement, looking uh, at medically tailored meals and um, produce prescriptions. I think that that the the energy coming out of the White House conference on nutrition, food and health um, from fall of 2022 um, has really had a, a strong journey forward. And I think that will only continue. And I'm grateful because it's about damn time um, that those who don't have access to healthcare um, and haven't for a while and are struggling with chronic diseases, you know, disproportionately um, really n- need these helpful interventions. It makes me wonder the role that technology is going to play in health. That's another big trend that I have seen happening 
that I think is going to get even more. I mean, from personal trackers several years ago, now we have lots of personalized testing. People are wearing continuous glucose monitors. AI is here, artificial intelligence. Like, how does that affect our healthcare? Cultured meat. Um, I just ran a, a article about cultured meat on my Instagram the other day. And I got some really interesting comments. Some people were like, yes, that's great. And other people were like, no way, I'm never going to eat that. And that's what I'm seeing in health technology right now is some people are really into it and excited. And some people are a little scared and hesitant. Yeah, I think food tech in general. And I will say, I'm not a huge proponent of food tech. Um, I understand that it's per perhaps uh, necessary at this point because we've come to a place where we need all hands on deck everywhere as much as we can. Uh, as much as we can. But um, yeah, food tech, lots of companies are still springing up that are creating all kinds of different functional foods. And as you mentioned, cell-based meats and alternative proteins that I think may, may, you know, may be questionable from a health perspective, from a planetary health perspective. Again, it's all about context and where people are at and meeting people where they are and being open-minded. So it's a journey. It's a journey. I'm seeing big shifts too in relationship to substances. I mean, the research keeps pouring out about how alcohol we once thought in little amounts was good for you. All of a sudden, there's no safe amount of alcohol that is good for you. Right. And so that's been such a huge shift. But in the meantime, I'm seeing the cannabis and marijuana and CBD conversation open. And then also more interest in like psychedelic plant medicine. Like that's so trending right now. And I, I just wonder how that's going to play out. I do too. And I'm curious, you know, again, coming back to the depression piece and the loneliness piece, I think, you know, psilocybin is being used as a way to help people with depression. And there's been some studies that I've heard about that show that um, even just small doses of psilocybin, you know, uh, and again, this is not a recommendation. This is just what I've heard, um, that there can be some comparable results to SSRIs, those um, selective serotonin uptake inhibitors. I hope I said that right. So I, I'd be curious about that. And I should say, I'm not an expert. Uh, psilocybin is the active constituent in, in mushrooms that has the psychedelic effect on the, on the brain and body. And I'm also curious, is there a connection between nutrition and psilocybin? Is there a connection in terms of does psilocybin deplete any nutrients from the body? Does it augment nutrients? I don't know anything about this research yet, but I'm I am curious if that's going to be something that dietitians may need to be on top of, and healthcare practitioners might need to be on top of if someone's doing, um, you know, these kinds of substances on a regular basis. Do they need additional nutrient nutrient um, support? Who knows? I'm really intrigued, like you said, to learn more about how that overlaps with nutrition, with longevity, what types of other common Compounds and plants? Are we going to have more access to researching in the future? But I'm seeing this be a big trend. And I love that we're talking about it. Well, we know that plants um, are medicine, right? Um, and as I mentioned, food is medicine is, is, is having a, a big impact on our healthcare system. And I think plants as medicine as well for, for people, for planet, um, what kinds of benefits do plants have for supporting our health, not even, you know, from a medicinal point of view, but just from a vitality point of view, what plants might we look at that give us or bolster our, our ability to be resilient? Do you think there's going to be any like individual foods, like the superfood thing or individual body systems that are going to be trending in the new year? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I think 
metabolic function in general seems to be something that is so compromised these days. You know, I think one in 15 people is metabolically healthy. One in four people either has prediabetes or is prediabetic. And and I believe in teenagers, that's one in six, which is just a staggering number. So I think, you know, the continuation around just overall metabolic health and what that means without the focus being on BMI, which I hope we will Um, set aside for the time being, since it's not really an accurate measurement of metabolic health and is really rooted in um, very discriminating ways of looking at at body types. It's so not appropriate for so many people. It leaves a lot of folks out of the conversation. And a lot of my patients come to me and they're really upset and they're like, my BMI is this or that, or my doctor told me I need to get my BMI to this right place. And I'm like, let's talk about your stature. Let's talk about your family. Let's talk Mm. about your health with different parameters. Let's talk about your rights to be weighed at the doctor's office or not. And like how you're going to interact with your body and, and where you're going to put your value. I have that conversation a lot. And I love that you're just mentioning that it's not fair to everybody and it doesn't truly indicate people's health all the time. And I think it comes back to that piece around empowerment that we were talking about earlier, which is how do we empower people to connect to the things that matter to them, their culture, their families, their um, value systems? Yeah, I remember, I'm remembering now what Dr. Drew, Drew Ramsey said, which was he was trying to see about getting someone to eat more seafood. Again, as a nutritional psychiatrist, I don't want to just say like, look, you should eat more anchovies. I want to say like, hey, Mary, tell me about you and fish. What was your household like growing up with fish? And and if you lived, you know, on the coast, oh boy, I'm really excited because I grew up in the Midwest. And so I love hearing those stories of like, you know, the real fish eaters. Where's fish now, right? Is it something you love and never cook at home? Is it something that you've never gotten a palate for? And instead of saying, you should eat this, it was on the person's relationship as opposed to, oh, the doctor or the physician or the the dietitian as the expert telling you what to do and more inclusive conversations. Tell me about your culture. Tell me about what you used to eat as a kid. Tell me about what your grandmother used to cook. And how do we connect people to that? Because very often when we connect them to the things that really matter, that's what helps to inspire change because they feel heard and listened to and accepted. Well, people need to be treated as unique individuals, and we can't just throw culture out the window. And I really liked episode 23 with Maya Feller, fellow dietitian, Mm -hmm. and talking about reframing healthy and eating foods from our roots. You know, people are really thinking about how do we infuse culture, flavor, heritage, history into a dish that is inherently nourishing and then share it with people in an affordable and accessible way. She's a real thought leader again in this space. And and she has this amazing cookbook that she talked about on the episode too, which I am now the proud owner of and have made a few recipes from. Another trend that I'm really excited about, especially as we continue to come out of the pandemic and rejoin the world together is group and community fitness. So there's nothing hotter than pickleball and other group sports like that. It's been really, really fun to watch. A lot of my clients have been telling me like, I'm going to try this new thing and they're so excited about it. But what I see is community, flexibility, a good focus on fitness, but also on joy and fun. And I'm really excited to see where those trends take us. 
Yeah. And joy, boy, there's so much research that joy is a huge part of the health picture and actually has benefits for our immune function. It reminds me of Dr. Chef Robert Graham's episode where he he has this wonderful acronym for this organization that he runs, which is FRESH. The acronym stands for what we call our five pillars or five ingredients in your recipe to health. Food, relaxation, exercise, sleep, and happiness happiness, joy. And we know we get so much of that from being around others in so many cases. And we've missed that for so long. And side note, I broke my foot playing pickleball. So uh, while I think it's a fantastic sport, it also doesn't come without its uh, potential risks. So let's talk about some of our personal goals or paths or hopes or dreams for the for the new year. I have been in a class where we're using the word path instead of goal, which I really like because goal feels so much like, oh, if I don't achieve this, I have somehow failed. But if you think of it as a path, then it's 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 something that you're you're taking a trip down. And so what are some paths <laughs> that you are hoping for um, from your health and wellness perspective for 2024? a path connects your past into the future. And so thinking about mm-hmm. where have I been and where do I want to go makes so much sense to me. I started doing early morning workouts in the summertime because I knew that that was the best time of day for me to fit it in. And that's another thing that's come up with a lot is how do you fit the healthy stuff into your life? How do you make it work for you? And so for me, I'm like, early morning is great. How am I going to set myself up for success? But now it's like real dark my car is icy. It's it's so much harder to do. So one of my paths that I want to go down is to really like make this a permanent, joyful habit into the future because it's working for me. But mm-hmm. as barriers come up, we have to learn how to pivot and adapt to them. And that's the space that I'm in right now. And it is it is a goal for me too, because I feel very attached to it. And I know that it's good for me. And I want to keep going with it. So that's that feels really important, especially like we talked about with the hormone changes and balance and muscle mass and metabolic focus. Uh, Agreed. And and this goes back to bodily fitness, I broke my foot in, uh, in September of 2023, which really set me back for a couple of months. And so one of my goals in 2024, ankle fitness, just get those ankles going. And and that I'm saying that out loud on this podcast because I want to be kept accountable to um, keep my ankle fitness going. Because I'll tell you, dietary shifts for me are not that hard. Um, but doing really boring PT exercises, that is hard. That is hard. And um, <laughs> ankle rolls and strengthening exercises are boring. And so I got to I got to figure out a way to to make that a little bit more interesting and dynamic. Um, so that's one of my goals is ankle fitness in 2024. <laughs> it's a thing. It's a new thing. It might be a new trend in 2024. Ankle fitness. What about toe fitness? <laughs> it's all part of, of the system. <laughs> if we're thinking about systems thinking, Ginger, you know, the toe is connected to the ankle. It's all it's all connected. If we strengthen toes, we're probably strengthening the ankle and vice versa. I have one other I have one other path. And um, I think you know that I'm getting my doctorate degree in clinical nutrition. It's it's going, but I'm moving into my research portion. And that's going to be starting in January and probably spanning for the next couple of years. What's it going to be? Uh, I, I, it's going to be clinically related and uh, like improving dietitian practice related. So I love giving back to the community and see how we can improve the way that we 
translate nutrition to our patients for better outcomes. So something in that world, I'll give more details as it develops. But I just, as you know, I'm not a researcher and I, I am going to do a dissertation though. So for me, 2024 is really about learning new skills, pushing the boundaries, getting uncomfortable and asking for help. So really like learning new skills in that, in that world. I'm nervous and excited. That's a big one for me in 2024. And that's incredible. And the fact that you are taking that next step to get your doctorate, I think is absolutely going to set you up for huge amounts of success as a dietitian. And, and as somebody who's going to likely be uh, a thought leader in the area of the research that you, that you wind up going into. Such a great reason why you are going to be an amazing host for this show, because I'm sure all of your experience in the schooling that you're in right now is going to inform your ability to respond and engage with all of the guests that we have coming up in 2024. So I, uh, I just feel like the show is in such good hands. The more that you understand how research is done, how you translate it to people, how you utilize it, um, how you make it come to life, that has been very valuable to me. And during my program so far, I just have been diving deep into topics that we're talking about, writing papers on the gut microbiome. What does COVID do to your body? What's nutrition overlay with that? How do we manage these cancer-related side effects with the new treatments we have out right now? So I just feel excited to talk about the complexities. But the most important thing is that there's takeaways, like there always has been. Yeah, and I think that's the strength of the show. We, we talk about the research, we talk about the background, and so many people have personal stories. Almost everyone on the show got into the field they got into because of a personal story, either of themselves, a family member, a colleague, something that happened. And then, yes, there are these takeaways. I can only imagine there will be many, many more takeaways and that hopefully this podcast will continue to change and improve people's lives. I'm really looking forward to it. And thanks for all the work that you've done. I'm still learning. Every time I engage with somebody who's a, a thought leader in these various spaces that we're having conversations in. So I, again, I pass the torch to you, Ginger. Thank you for being my friend, my colleague, my ally. And I really look forward to where you are going to take this show and I'll be following right along. I know you'll be listening. I will be. We look forward to having you join us for future episodes of the Good Clean Nutrition Podcast, sponsored by Orgain, where we'll interview more subject matter experts on a variety of health and nutrition-focused topics. To stay up to date on the latest episodes of this podcast, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. That's it for now. Thanks so much.